Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Sunday, the last Sunday in January of 2016, the Family Recovery Project podcast. I'm Jacqueline Sazi, and as always, I am joined by the head honcho, Frank Salaya. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you today? I'm good. I'm in... um, a cleaning organizing mode with my home right now because we are gearing up to move. So we have to start packing, which means let's see how much stuff we can throw away. So that's been my day. I'm taking a little break. So how's your day been? Uh, busy, busy doing things that uh, are distracting and frustrating and good and everything all, all kind of rolled into one. So Right. I'm, I'm glad to be able to have this opportunity to take a break and, uh, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the issue that we were talking about last week. So I uh, look forward to awesome. our chat. Me too. I have a lot of fun with this topic. Right. I know you do. I know it's one of the uh, areas that you, you know, have a, a lot of experience with. And uh, I'm if I, if I can today, what I want to do is I'm going to take the role of, of a parent, uh, not that I always don't, but, you know, with respect to maybe asking some direct questions today. Uh, sure. As you make some uh, just to maybe help my, my family of uh, parents that are out there uh, to, you know, get a little bit deeper understanding of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That'd be okay. Sure. Okay. Um, I don't know, do you want to kind of reframe what we we're talking about last week and, you know, just to get people up to date in case they haven't had a chance to listen to our, our uh, program from last week. Yes. So what we were talking about, what we started talking about last week was the term codependency and, or the term codependent and codependency. Um, And we got a lot into where it came from, how it was created and, and, and really how nobody really knows what it means. Um, there, there are some, I think I read off one definition that I found in Merriam-Webster. That was the first one that I, I read. Um, and I had written a little piece that I put up on our website at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com from the human magnet syndrome about the history of the term and, and its use and how it's, um, it's kind of lost its meaning over the years. And it's just become this term that gets thrown around. And use kind of like a, you know, this blanket terminology for parents, 
<laughs> really, and and loved ones, but oh, I hear it used a lot with parents because they are so affected by what's going on with their kids. And, you know, you and I have both seen it used in ways that are, and I don't, I don't know, I don't, you know, again, you know, we're not doctors, we're not psychologists, we're not counselors. We, neither of us are even in the treatment field. <laughs> um, I have been, but I'm not anymore. So it's not that we're, we're coming out and saying this is what it actually means and here's how it's being used incorrectly. What I'm saying, what we're, what we're really talking about is our experience and seeing it used in a way that really can shut people down and um, make them feel very disassociated from their child and from what they've been trying to do to help their child that they have felt was the best they could do. So um, it, it brought up the term enabling and how that's another one of those terms that is so overused and misunderstood. And, um, and I think that's kind of where we left off, wasn't it? Yeah, it, uh, we, we, we got ourselves thoroughly enmeshed in a, uh, a talk that was, I, I think we were trying to find the other, the other end of the tunnel. Um, and I think that's right. what we pick up today is just that, um, the uncertainty of something that carries, uh, an absolute, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in going through our, our personal experiences on both sides of the fence. Uh, that mm-hmm. you know that, there, that 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 lack of certainty um, is difficult to, for a parent and uh, especially for myself to have kind of wrap my my head around was how it could make sense that I was maybe being told that I was trying to control my child through my enabling behavior when I felt like I was there because he was using drugs, right? Um, and you know, so I I think if you could maybe speak a little bit to that. And I know that one of the issues that you guys have when you're frontline uh, workers is that you have beginners, you have people that are there for, you know, one month, six months, six a year. Uh, sometimes it's their fifth time that they're going through treatment. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of, I understand, but just in general terms, I mean, it's, it was very confusing for me to understand how somehow I might be accused of being and when I say accused, I don't mean that in a legal sense. I just mean, you know, the subtlety of like, you know, what are you doing? You know, what are you saying? You know, those types of things. Um, right. I was really confused about the fact that somehow I was trying to control it by, in a sense, thinking that I was helping my child. Right. Well, so that's going to open up a whole other can of worms <laughs> because, um <laughs> You know, some of the work I do currently is around change and resilience. You know, we've worked together with some of that stuff. And one of the things, so it's, to me, it's really all in how you look at the word control, okay? Because within self-help slash 12-step slash any, you know, um, treatment program that that gets into um, using the word control, it's got this negative connotation to it, right? So you look at a parent and you say, well, you're being controlling. And and that that starts to carry that same shut you down thing that um, enabling and codependent do, right? 
Because, right. you know, nobody wants to be, you know, in our society today, nobody wants to be looked at as controlling, except for like, you know, very successful business leaders are super controlling people. But that's, that's why they're so successful. So control is not this negative thing, right? But it gets, again, it's it, in those instances and and in those uh, forums it's this it's you know I mean I I've never seen anything like it you know if you talk to a man or a woman who has been a part of Al-Anon for any period of time and you say you're controlling you can like see them flinch I mean that is like this bad bad word and control is just a it's just a thing it's and, and it is absolutely inherent and every single human being on the planet, everybody wants to feel that they are in control of what's happening to them. There is nothing wrong with that. That does not make you codependent, enabling, a bad person, not spiritual, you know, whatever, whatever people put on that, however they, they use things like that to put themselves down, all the, the, the desire to be in control of what's going on around you is 100% human, period, end of story. It means nothing else, <laughs> right? Now, are there some people that we have interacted with who take that to a level that is uncomfortable for the people around them? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, I definitely have been around people who – uh, you know, I get very agitated because I feel like they're trying to quote unquote control everything I do. Right. Right. You, do you agree? You've been around people like that. Oh, uh, very often. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so I think that's where control gets a bad rap. Right. Um, because, and, and I do see that as controlling, but there's some other stuff going on there. You know, if, if you, if, if if there's a level of insecurity, and that's another word that gets this weird connotation within, you know, those worlds, like inse- you're not supposed to be insecure, or if you're insecure, it's bad. And it's like, no, that, again, is a trait of being human. As human beings, we are very insecure a lot. Now, there are normal steps we can take and normal things we can do in our lives to to ease that insecurity to an extent, right? Um, Right. You know, we we get an education so that we can get a job that we like and that will bring us in, you know, financial security so that we can take care of ourselves and and then eventually take care of a family if that's what we choose. And, you know, so there there are ways to assuage that that insecurity. But that's, again, it's a very natural thing it's a, it's a natural human it, it makes us human to be a little bit insecure and to want to have control now when those things get a little bit out of whack they can become annoying to other people <laughs> i mean that's just let's get real it can just become annoying to other people which is just not the end of the world but that again you know culturally we've all become so obsessed with you know, not upsetting anyone and not pissing anyone off that, you know, we either try to like stuff down anything we think that could be possibly upsetting to anyone about us um, 
or, you know, there are people like me who, if we find things that are upsetting and they're, they're upsetting other people, or we find ourselves constantly upset or angry about the actions of someone else or our own actions, you can seek professional help, <laughs> you know, in that case. Um, but my point in all of this is it's not bad to want to control your life and your home and your family and your future. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So, so first let's take the stigma off of being controlling. Okay. Um, because, because there is tons and tons and tons of research around why human beings naturally want to have some kind of control over their lives. And that if we didn't have that, we wouldn't do anything <laughs> like that's something we need. That's the thing we need to have. Um, and then let's take, okay, so uh, maybe this analogy will help. So something I learned at some point throughout my journey was about this thing called people-pleasing, right? And that's another, that's another one of the things you hear a lot in 12-step um, self-help uh, arenas is, you know, don't be a people-pleaser, don't be a people-pleaser. So, okay, so there, there's again, so at, at some point someone said to me, you know, people-pleasing really is just a form of control. And I was like, what? I just want people to be happy. You know, it's, it's, it's not about me. And, and then we really sat down and talked it through. And it was like, I want people to be happy with me. So to an extent, by, by doing something for someone that I don't want to do because I just want them to be happy with me, there's a level of, of me attempting to control someone in there. So can you see that connection? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. I just think so, that it, it just – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so the same connection can be made. Now, again, I'm not going to make a blanket statement and say every parent who enables is trying to control their child, okay? Um, because, I, I, first of all, it, are you really enabling? Second of all, <laughs> you know, are you really trying to control? But where I do see a correlation – is like the parent who knows their kid is hanging out with kind of a rough group and they're concerned that, you know, that they've been coming home with these weird, I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here, but coming home with these weird Metallica t-shirts and uh, black hair in front of their eyes and they got their ears pierced and their eyes are all bloodshot. And so that parent says, hey, why don't you and your friends come over here Friday night and I'll buy you a six-pack of beer and you guys can drink here. So that would be considered an enabling behavior, correct? And, and, and this is an extreme example, but it, it is a parent's attempt to control what's going on with their kid. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So that's where I can see that coming from, that even if, even if your desire is to keep your kid okay or make them happy, that is still an attempt to control what's going on with your child. And, and when in, in reality, no one has control over anyone. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, if you want to really get down to brass tacks, even parents don't have control over their children unless they're babies, you know, when they're, when they're infants and, you know, then yes, you absolutely have control over most things, not even all things at that point. Um, because, I mean, how many times have we heard of, you know, they won't go to sleep. I tried everything, <laughs> right? So even there, there are situations where you don't have total control. But 
it's to me, it's more that illusion. It's more feeling like I am somehow manipulating this situation to have an outcome that I desire. But I think that that, again, I think that's everything we're talking about. That's really, really normal and should not be um, played in a negative way to a parent. It can be explained and it can be hashed out, you know, like, okay, so do you see how when you do this, what you're trying to do is this because you feel like you're very out of control. And so let's deal with that. You know, let's look at the things you do control and things because there are some things, even as a teenager, and even as an adult, parents have control over with their kids. It gets less and less the older that they get. But I think I think what you're reacting to and what a lot of parents react to within those scenarios is is what you said. It feels like an accusation. It feels like, well, you're being controlling. And, 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 and this, like, red light goes off and it's like, danger, danger. The last thing you want to be is controlling. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> let's find things you can control and work with that. Right. So, and I, and I, and I think that's what it kind of goes back to is that I think that there's this, and again, speaking from my experience and then in talking with other parents uh, and, you know, the, you know, the hundreds of, of parent groups that I've been to mm-hmm. is that somehow we, we feel like we're, we're maladapted uh, that somehow, right. There's something out there that we're doing wrong that we don't really quite have a, a you know a good enough emotional intellectual handle on to be able to right. do anything about. And yeah. the other the other thing, and again, it was difficult for me in the beginning of the first treatment round with my son. I was very malleable, you know. I think that if if an expert told me to do something or try something, I'd go right out and I would do it. I would try right. it. Right. As we continue to meet with failure, to and failure, I use that just meaning with respect to you know my my son making better choices, and and not saying that he wasn't learning things along the way. Um, it became even stranger to me when I would hear that same codified language, kind of talking about that, but not really talking about it. You right. Know, it's kind of like well, you know, I never really. Uh, remember anybody sitting down and saying, "Okay, well, what, are, what, why are you doing what you're doing, and um, what in response to what? You know, because we right. we hear a lot about we hear a lot about the triggers for our kids and how to maybe create our uh, uh, an environment in our homes and you know trying to reinforce the fact that we want our kids to hang out with other kids, you know, that type of thing uh, without telling them what to do because they're not listening to us at that point in their lives anyway. If we're in treatment. Right, um, but it just seems that the, it, it just the, the pendulum swung so far over that it just doesn't um, it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good because I mean I and in looking at and, and doing some reading this past week and I was just kind of just generally looking at stuff um, wasn't after anybody or doing anything but I just think that you know the the idea that an enabler has to be codependent. Um, I think needs more explanation to me. Right. Um, right. Absolutely. I can see why somebody would say that if, if after a thorough assessment and looking at all the different things that are happening, you know, in, 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 a, in a family dynamic, I think that it makes sense. Um, but I, I have met 
parents that are enablers. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, I, it, and other parents do the same thing. You just kind of think, well, I don't think I would have done that. Um, but until they invite you into their world, it doesn't really do any good for one parent to tell another parent not to do that. Right. Um, and in that sense, well, or we, to we go, get you're being an enabler. Kids. You're being controlling. Right, because then we're being controlling, right? So you're kind of like it's, 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's the drugs and the other choices that just that just like it feels like you're in a spin cycle all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like can we just get to like a soak or maybe a gentle wash cycle for a day or two here, so that I can kind of grab, you know, get, you know, my my at least get my catch my breath, right? Um, and that's really, I think, you know, my point was that it was really kind of, it was something that I just could not understand in terms of, like, wanting to figure out how I, I could accept the premise that I wanted to control my son's behavior because I wanted him to survive. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and if the means justified the ends at that time, I'd say, hey, I don't care what you tell me, I'm going to do this. Right. And I... I, I I think that that can be that can become maladaptive, um, but I, I think that the in, initial intent is pretty genuine, and mm-hmm. I think that if, if 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 treatment specialists and some do some don't, but for the ones that don't that that are treating the 2.2 million that are involved with treatment annually here in the U.S., if that mm-hmm. conversation is not held, then we're just being treated again as we have been over the past 70 to 80 years as collateral damage. Right. You know, so it's like who's controlling who? Right. You know, I mean, do you, do you really want my son to get better or do you just want, you know, us to sign up for another six weeks of treatment? I mean, and that's really the point that a lot of parents get to. It's like, well, yeah. what happened? I mean, am I enabling you now to continue to do right. what you need to do? I mean, right. it, it really... But that's what we were talking about last week, right, about how fuzzy the world gets. Mm-hmm. Because I think that we start looking and, and not only looking at our motivation and where our uh, uh, belief system is focusing on, but we're thinking about other people's outside of our family and thinking, well, I think that they're controlling me here. Mm-hmm. Um, because my son just relapsed again. And, and we've, we've gone through three, three relapses in the last two months. Uh, but they tell me it's going to be okay, right? You know, uh, you know the the the, the, the typical AA, you know, never take, you know, temporary for permanent, and you know some of those other thought stoppers that are out there. And we, are, you know, the problem for a parent is, is that our brain doesn't stop right there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it would be nice if it if it could, but there's no way just to flip that switch and say, okay, I I get what you're saying. Um, I'm going to go back. I mean, you know, the uh, the letting go part of it uh, is, is, is is something too, and um, you know that that it all kind of gets mushed in, and then all of a sudden it's just this big, huge black cloud of me being codependent. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, I would ask that from some perspective that then they should then talk about. If you're not going to talk about codependency in a way that explains what healthy interdependency is you shouldn't be talking about the other one mm-hmm. and that's I think that you know in, in terms of like you working with parents 
I know you had more of a tendency to, to move to that side of the spectrum a little bit, you know, the interdependency, being healthy and not being mm-hmm. having to be part of somebody else to be a whole. Um, right. But I mean to tell you, I, I, you know, my personal experience, a lot of experience with other families is that there isn't any, there isn't any, any talk like that or even self-talk that leads us to that. Um, and even the websites that are, that if you're lucky enough to find one to give you some help, um, they still treat it as a very maladaptive and very associative aspect of addiction, which points the finger directly at parents and loved ones. Right. Um, am I am I am I wrong? Am I reading? Am I misreading all the literature that I that I saw this past week, or should I be <laughs> maybe giving everybody the benefit of the doubt? No, I I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I, I again, you know, like I said, I don't know that this is indicative of every single treatment, you know, we're definitely not trying to indict anybody or say, this is how it is everywhere. Um, Again, this is just our experience and what we're finding as we're doing some research and and compiling resources for our website and, and, you know, kind of what our program that we're building. So, so yes, I think it's, it's, I think it is easy to assume that, 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 that is the case. I'd say most of the time, you know. Right. And, and I think it is. I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I just was interested from your, you know, on your, from your perspective in terms of like being on, hearing all the stories from our kids and then hearing the stories from the parents. I mean, you have a, a unique opportunity to be able to kind of filter from both sides. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's, an, an, an interesting experiment, as it were, every time that you get a new family in, because everyone starts at kind of the same place, but maybe you know there, there's differences that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I what I found in looking at the website was that it seemed like there's a lot of people that like to talk about enabling mm-hmm. that are are really what I would call generalists, meaning that their first appointment might be a marriage and family meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one might be uh, about somebody that has a kid with ADD, um, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress, tossing um, mm-hmm. a little substance abuse counseling. Um, and it's almost like I think I, I would rather, I guess the analogy that I would use in that situation is that I think I would like to talk to somebody that really specializes in what my problem is, as opposed to knowing a little, a little bit about everything. Because I certainly wouldn't go to a surgeon that knows a little bit about everything and let them do heart surgery on me right. uh, if they haven't actually scrubbed for a surgical procedure somewhere. Right. And, and maybe maybe that's where my mind takes me is, is that, look, you, you all are talking about this, but I understand that, mer- that the enabling codependency concept um, first got written about with respect to divorce and broken relationships and then got applied after the fact to addiction. Mm-hmm. And we still have the codependency things and assertiveness training and, you know, the resiliency type things that we've worked together on um, to be able to figure out how you get yourself out of, you know, stuck out, you know, get, get yourself out of the mud because you're stuck. Um, but it's kind of like I I, I think that I, I you know really wanted I, I probably made a mistake in the beginning from my perspective and my 
experience was not stopping the conversation and just saying, as you did in your articles, to explain it to me, please. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably one of the things that I feel I don't have regret over it. I just wish that I had done it. Right. Yeah, and I thanks for reminding me that. I forgot that that was a a part of what I wrote in there was, you know, ask questions. You are in you are in control and you should be in control of treatment for your minor child. <laughs> you know, you should have all the power as the parent in that situation. Right. And I and think, I think we that, want to. Yeah. I think I think we do walk in that way thinking this is going to be a mutual uh, undertaking here. Uh, yeah. I understand that I'm here to, you know, to, you know, I guess sometimes we just assume that they're going to give us answers to questions that are not asked. And that's just not yeah. the way that it works. Right. Um, yeah. Because as, as I say, I mean, even, even when you're going through an assessment, um, you, you know, you're not given an unlimited amount of time to present your story because mm-hmm. they've got other appointments booked. Uh, so when your when your time is up, whether it's one hour, two hour, half a day, whatever you know, whatever type of intake you're going through, when that time is up, they expect a decision um, because they're thinking that either you already have an understanding of what's going to take place next, even if you haven't asked the question, and I think that that's why our mission and vision is so important is to make sure that parents have that uh, sense of empowerment and assertiveness, uh, not to be negative, but just to be there to be an active participant in uh, that decision-making process. Because mm-hmm. it's so difficult. If you, if you go in and you haven't done any thinking or anything other than the fact that you're feeling bad about what your child's choices are, um, you're in for a long haul. You know, and, and I think it's really tough because as, as somebody that's doing that intake and assessment, they're trying to pick up and find out where you're at. Um, but if all you give them is just a sorrowful tale of how bad you feel and are not bringing anything to the table as a parent, I mean, because I, I, knew, my, I knew my son was using drugs, you know. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't know. It wasn't like, you know, we, we were there because he was using drugs. He was you know, it was out out of school. He wasn't able to work. Relationships were all shattered. Um, but because there's this moment in time that seems to kind of like stop, where it makes it hard to kind of think about what comes next. I think that's what the Family Recovery Project is wants to promote: is you can't let yourself stop there. Mm-hmm. Because right. This train, this train's going to keep rolling. You know, it's going to keep going down that track. Um, you know, so in, in terms of asking, uh, not to put you on the spot, but I, I like the, the statement that you did make about ask questions and asking them to uh, define, you know, what is codependency, you know, what is enabling. Um, right. Uh, if, if I were to reverse the role and I were to be assessing you, what, what would you, what would you, what would you ask me? Um, yeah, I would ask. I mean, I would, I would say you know, can you give me the proper definition of that? And can you give me examples of how what I'm doing is considered codependent as opposed to being a parent who cares about my kid? Um, I would ask for 
uh, you know, to talk to other parents who had been through the same thing and ask them how they dealt with it. Um, trying to think of what other stuff I had in there. And mainly a lot of what I talked about too was making sure that you're asking, okay, so if, if this is, you know, if this is really a problem, if how I've been handling, you know, my child has been a problem, then what do I need to do differently? And how can I change that? How can I turn that around? And what can I do? And, and, and really continuing to ask questions as they answer questions. You know, if they say, well, you need to uh, kick them out of the house if they use drugs. You know, I think you, you just got to question everything and go, okay, well, why? Like, what's, then what do we do? You know, what, what happens then? So what if they call and say, hey, mom, I'm, you know, I broke my arm and can you come pick me up? And then I go pick them up and they don't have a broken arm. And they just, you know, I, I just think that it's ultimately it's really, really important to question everything, you know, but especially right. if someone is labeling you codependent, enabling, um, what was the other one we just, oh, people pleasing, controlling, you know, labeling you as those things, I think, you know, you may not in the moment be able to to get into it, but I think going home and really reflecting on, okay, so, you know, maybe making a list, like here are all the things that I did and, and really being honest with yourself and going, okay, so why did I offer to take my son and his three friends to this horrible concert and, and, you know, like, like really stopping and thinking through your actions and, and going, okay, why did I do all this stuff? Not just the, the initial reaction that's always going to be because, because they're my kid. I think at that point, you've really got to stop and go, why did I do that? Well, because that's what my mother did with me. Okay, but why did my mother do that with me? You know, and kind of walk yourself back through some of those things. And, and that's why the first line of my of that article is you're not codependent unless you are, <laughs> you know, because I think that this term came about for a reason. And I do think there are people who technically can be considered codependent, you know, or overly controlling. And I, sure. I don't think that that's going to be helpful if you've got a kid who's using drugs in your house. And I do think you need to deal with that. Um, so I, I, I think that part of the responsibility of the parent is, not to just ask questions and, and just take things at face value and do what you're told, but is to also just stop and take a look at your motivation and see, you know, where you're coming from. And, oh, God, am I, con am I codependent? Like, do I need to look at that? And is there a therapist I can work with? You know, I, I, I think if that is something that you feel is an issue and it does strike a chord with you, absolutely get help with that, you know, Um but, well, today, I, you know, what we're today, addressing now, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say on that point, I mean, you know, the push right now is for evidence-based treatment. Right. And unless there's some standardization with respect to how it's going to be measured, if this conversation can't be held, how is it possible for us to ever get to a point where we're going to be able to say that we are truly evidence-based? Right. Um, you, you know what I'm saying, and and maybe that's my point of, of of confusion about how this system is going to play out. 
um, because, you know, as we, uh, as I mentioned last week, I mean, you know, about 90% are still using the 12-step or an AA model to get things going. And they kind of, they kind of like stir in, you know, cognitive approaches and, um, and you know, other reinforcement techniques, you know, to try to uh, modify behavior. Um, right. But there's there's so many competing theories out there. How how are we going to be able to get a message to parents to understand that that's exactly the way that it's going to happen? And, you know, except just to keep kind of saying it over and over again. Um, you know, and I think that that's why it's so pertinent to, um, you know, reach out to us or to you and say, you know, what, what are those questions that we, that, you know, that we need to have in our inventory that are never going to change? Right. Because uh, as I've moved from one treatment center to another, Jacqueline, the closing process or the intake process would change a little bit. Right. Um, No more very guilt-based approaches. Um, It's kind of like, well, we, you know, we know your son needs help. You know, what are you going to do? It's like, well, what do I have to do? I want my son to get well. Um, and right. at that point, at that moment, is that time when, if they're not going to do it, and, or, or have a conversation that's going to help us to understand what's involved with that question and saying yes or no, then mm-hmm. it's incumbent upon our population. And as we, you know, we know that there's nine million uh, families living with uh, somebody 25 and under. Um, you know, total now, I mean, we're just under 25 million total families of all ages, you know, of uh, right. people that are being addicted. And, you know, and, it, and it's not a matter of me. I mean, I, I, I still use the word addiction because it, it's probably the, the, the term that I relate to. It's what I grew up with. Right. Um, but you know, to try to say that, that somebody's, you know, my son had a chemical a substance abuse disorder. Right. Um, it doesn't quite have that same meaning to me um, because it, it, it's not it's not a prognosis or it's not a code for me it's it's something that I have to live through and right so if i'm if I, and i'm saying if i if I am an enabler and if I am being overly codependent, I think that that those red flags are things that we need to have ideas for so that when they pop up um we have something to go to besides. Uh, a self-help book that was written in 1980, um, right? Or a list somewhere uh, that you know that, that propagates the website somewhere out there in the internet world somewhere, um, because there are a zillion lists. Um, there are mm-hmm. a zillion websites that will, will give you what they think you need. But again, it, it, it's not based on the same approach that we have and, give, and bringing it from a family perspective and giving people an opportunity to be able to fit into a community where they can be safe and say, this is what I really would like to know. By the time that that we start working with parents, uh, especially even individually in parent group, the people that would keep me in a parking lot until 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning were people that weren't getting anything out of a program. Right. And it was mostly because I was I was willing to sit there and listen to them try to figure out what was going on in their life, and they were like looking at my example, going, "How do you do what you do?" And I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> right. You know. So it, it really made me look back, and at that time, I started to think, "Okay, what am I doing that's so different?" I think everybody can do this, and I and I still honestly believe that to be um, a vision 
that families can recover in spite of what they thought their limitations were. Right. Um, you know, and, and so in, in that sense, I think that in a positive way, in use of the word, I had to give myself permission to enable myself to do something different. Right. So kind of a flip on the term there, but I, I, again, I don't think that it's all negative. Well, no, and the word, that, that word in of itself is not negative. It's actually positive. Right. It just, it gets that, uh, that stigma in depending on, you know, where and how it's used. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you is look up the, the definition of enable, it's give someone or something authority or means to do something. Right. That's what it means. <laughs> so when you were working frontline uh, with young people like my son, you were an enabler also in a positive sense. Right. And I, and I think that's what I, I would hope that we would be able to communicate to uh, not only our parental and, and family loved ones in terms of that population, but to everybody uh, and then be able to say this is, this is not something that should be used as a club uh, to gain an admission, a signed form. Right. Um, because I really did feel that way. I'm like, gosh, I, I really do need to sign here because uh, I have failed so miserably and I'm such a failure. Um, you know, it's like hearing that question, and I know that you didn't do intake because your 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 art and your specialty and passion was for that backside deep uh, work that takes place at a treatment center. Uh, but I it did was kind of like uh, for a while, actually. Oh, you did. I did. But I mean, it was. Like, but being asked for me, I mean, it used to be kind of. It it, it was like, well, uh, what have you tried, and how, you know, how did it work for you? And you know, that that question is like, it, it didn't work. But mm-hmm. help me understand. You know, help me to understand how I can be part of this. And I think there are some parents that go in and, and they just, you know, they want to drop off their puppy at the shelter and just kind of say, here, take care of him until he's all better and all well. Uh, right. I think that the majority of parents are coming in saying, you know, just tell me what I what I can do. I mean, we're not mm-hmm. like asking to have somebody miraculously change our child's behavior because we, we understand that we've got a role in it. Um but again, it, it, and it may be just a matter of, of just the application of the semantics, you know, that it would have helped me to have had a conversation like this even for half an hour mm-hmm. uh, the first the first time that I ever took my son in and just kind of like kept things in perspective and not kept them so dark. Right. Um, because it, it is, uh, and again, like I say, most of the, the search that, that the results that I came up with uh, when you put in enabling, marriage and family is like on like on the hundredth page now. It's just not on the. It, it's not coming up in the algorithms. You know, when you put in enabling, you're going to get drugs. You're going to get alcohol. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to get. Then the other thing is just the accusation that we are being dishonest. That we're we're so willing to lie for our addict. Um, oh yeah. And I think that that's a misnomer too because. I was the type that wanted to go down to and talk to the school principal when they were making accusations. You know, right. I wasn't like, 
And I wasn't like, no, Chris was sick the other day, you know. It wasn't like that at all. It was kind of like, well, what, what, what do you mean he wasn't at school? Mm-hmm. Um, let's get to the bottom and let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that we're that enabling behavior. If, if if it were my spouse and we needed the money to, to continue to, to make our house payment and take care of our family, I might, you know, think about calling in. Um, that's right. a really difficult, difficult place to be. Um, but it doesn't always mean that. It's it's always going to be so negative that it's all it's going to lead to ruination unless they can realize that what they're doing is wrong, um, right? You know, in context. So anyway, that's kind of where I am on that. And like I said, I just I just wish that I had had a better understanding of the going into. I know we're getting short on time now, so yeah, um, that went by really fast. It sure did. So so yeah, what I would say is as we continue to talk every week. Um, is to the people listening, either live or, you know, that are downloading the recordings, because there are quite a few. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Please share with your friends. You know, we know that this isn't something that you might want to post publicly on Facebook, (laughs) you know, that you're involved with um, a a website or, you know, people that are talking about drug abuse treatment for teenagers. Um, But, if you, you know, could share privately and, and let people know that we're out there and um, and give them links to, you know, whatever our podcast or um, our website, that would be great just to get this out there. So you can find us at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. And thanks for listening. Talk to you later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.